The scripture for today's sermon is Mark 14, 27 through 52. The word of God speaks to us. And Jesus said to them, you will fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father. Oops, sorry. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is, it is enough, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going, see my betrayer is at hand." And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning, Frontline family. So good to be with you. It's been a couple years because of the, the pandemic and stuff since I've been able to be here. And I love being here. It's a joy. Part of the gospel is that we're, okay, to be a Christian, we're adopted into God's family through Jesus. And uh, we not only get, you know, God in the gospel and are reconciled to God, but we get each other. And, uh, um, yeah, I love this guy, one of my dear, dear friends. And by God's grace, um, Christine and I were able to hang out at the Elders and Wives Retreat. Frontline does uh, a retreat 
and with a lot of prayer and rest and ministry time, and it was in June, we got to hang out at that for the first time, and it meant so much to us. And I just want to let you know that uh, this church has meant so much to the Liberty Churches, and we've learned from you and with you, and uh, I got a big, crazy crew of Liberty guys here. We're going to go to like three different Liberty Churches, so they're at another service right now, but there's like nine of us, and uh, we just can't wait to, to hang out with your leaders some more. So we love you. Know you have church family in Philadelphia, and uh, it's a joy to be here today. So uh, tell you what, let me pray for us, and then let's dive in. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in your goodness through Jesus in a lonely world, you bring us into family. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. Uh, I pray that you would meet us in your word. And for those of us who just feel gassed, just trying to make it through this week, meet us. I pray for those of us who have been Christians for a long time and eyes can glaze over, hey, I know the story, I know, that, I know what's going to happen when we hear a passage like this. Meet us, teach us. I pray for all of us here who are exploring Christianity. I'm wondering if this is true. Is this, is this toxic? Could I ever connect with this? Lord, I pray you'd meet folks here today. Lead us. Please help me. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. A bunch of years ago, I went whitewater rafting. It was the first time I'd ever been. Uh, anything like that, it was, okay, so rapids have a class, one to six. Six is like, don't do that. These were some level five rapids in West Virginia on the Cheat River. It's in spring. That's when the water's fast. And we had rental wetsuits, okay? Wetsuits need to be good. They need to be tight on your body to keep you warm. A little water gets under there and it keeps it warm. Rental wetsuits have a lot of holes in them. You're constantly getting new water and so you're cold all day, right? So we had the cheapo rental wetsuits. We had helmets, but they're like little plastic helmets. It looked like it should have come upside down with a dessert in it, right? Our guide, so this was serious enough and we did get obliterated that day. Like our, this massive, you know, we had a couple people mess up, were in the wrong spot in the river, hit the hole, flip the whole thing, need to be rescued by people on the shore who are there to rescue you, know, you with ropes. It's not like you know, amusement park, uh, you, a little splash here and there. It was, it was scary. So we had a professional guide in the boat. Here's his deal. Uh, he didn't have a rental wetsuit. He had a dry suit. And a dry suit is exactly what it sounds like. It's perfectly sealed at your neck, your ankles, and your wrists. So when we screwed up, he was in the water with us, in the freezing water. But he was dry. He was warm. Uh, he had a helmet. And I'm like, we're looking at our helmets, and we're looking at his helmet. I'm not an expert at this. Yours is better. <laughs> okay? He had, like, the pro helmet. And at the end of the day... You know, we were, you know, we were talking about the day. Hey, do you remember when, this, when that wind kicked up and the clouds, uh, 
block the sun. It's one of those days when it gets colder, and all of a sudden we're wet, so we're all colder. We remember when we were all colder, we realized, dude wasn't colder. Um, when we were experiencing, it's what Josh Curry calls the second kind of fun. There's the first kind of fun, it's the fun. And then there's like Josh Curry gear. I don't know if you know this about him. The second kind of fun, that a suffering fun. Uh, when we are experiencing the second kind of fun, pro rafter guide wasn't experiencing that the same way. It's easy to wrongly think of Jesus. Okay, you were here, you, in, you were in this world, you suffered, but you're the son of God. You had a dry suit on. You're the son of God. Did Jesus really suffer the same way we suffer? Are we like, yeah, hey, okay, you suffered, you prayed and stuff, but you went through that as the son of God. We can even wonder, so like, in one way, the guide, he was with us, but sort of not with us. He was in the boat with us, but was he really with us? Is Jesus able to be with us in suffering? So this is a passage that shows that Jesus did not have a dry suit on when it comes to, su- when it comes to suffering. We're actually going to look this morning at Jesus' suffering. We're all together in Lent. Okay, Lent is the runway up to Easter in the church around the world through the ages, meditates on, considers, thinks about Jesus going knowingly to his suffering. Uh, Frontline, you guys have been in Mark, and Jesus is walking into this, knows it's going to happen. We're going to contemplate Jesus' suffering. It's an intimate scene. Have you ever watched something, someone do something, and you're embarrassed for them? It's not happening to you, but it's uncomfortable to watch. If you track with like how deeply the disciples are messing up, hey, I'm telling you to do one thing. Just remain awake and pray. And then like one, one time he comes back, they're still sleeping, and Mark records for us, which was just read. We didn't even know what to say. They didn't know what to say. Just like, it's embarrassing. It's haunting. It's haunting because we're like that. So we're going to consider the suffering of Jesus and basically four aspects of his suffering, okay? Four aspects, we're going to think about four aspects of Jesus' suffering that Mark's recording for us, holding up for us, and then we're also going to think about what does that mean for us? And, I, you know, I tried to pray. There's stuff here for us. I don't care how many decades you've been a Christian. There's something here for us to understand who Jesus is and what he's done if you're considering if this is true, if this is real, okay? So let's, let's dive in. Okay, let's just start going through it. Four aspects of Jesus' suffering and then what it means. So the passage starts out, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane just means oil press, and they're on the Mount of Olives. They're surrounded by all these olive trees. There's an olive press. It's a, it's a historical, you know, it's a real mountain, and it's a real place. Um, there's a church now built on the site. And he's with his disciples and also his friends. And the first aspect of Jesus' suffering, he suffers as a human. 
Jesus suffers as a human. This passage stresses the humanity of Jesus. Don't miss this. It says, the passage says, he's greatly distressed and troubled. He took with him his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. The verse before that, he was greatly distressed and troubled. It's a little bit hard to translate. Uh, you don't say, if you had an awful day, I was greatly distressed and troubled. Maybe you do. It's more formal sounding, this is my point, than I am, Jesus is horrified. Jesus is anxious to the point he feels like he's going to die. Just because of what he's experiencing in the moment. My soul is sorrowful even to death. I'm so sad, I feel like I'm going to die. But hey, wait a minute, he's the son of God, right? No, he doesn't have the dry suit on. This is the claim that Jesus is the son of God, right? Actually, God, who entered history and became a human being. One person, two natures. I don't want to get into that, the technical language around it. And Mark's, not, Mark's just recording what happened. It happened. Jesus suffered as a human being. We can't, can't say, well, hey, this, he's not looking at his watch and like, hey, I know this is all going to work out. It's all good. And he's, he's not tapping his foot. He's collapsing under horror. A couple ways this is helpful. One way it's helpful, if you're suffering, if you felt so depressed and you don't know how to go on, if you've, you've suffered grief and you're just like, I don't know how we're going to get through this. Uh, I've been here one time. I think I think I preached one time since my wife had diagnosed with cancer in 2018. By God's grace, she's okay and cancer-free. Um, but have you ever had news, received news, where? Knees buckle isn't a turn of phrase. It just makes you collapse the weight of it. Jesus knows what that, that's like. And when we pray to one who suffered, he really suffered. He didn't pretend suffer. Second way this is helpful, this is one of those places where like, hey folks, this really happened, okay? This actually happened. How does this sound? You know, would a bunch of people make up a religion? Hey, guys, you know what we're going to do? We're going to record all the stupid things we've done and said for the world to know. Let's stack hands and share all the stupid stuff we've ever done. They bail on Jesus. They fail Jesus. And that will be the, the basis of our new spiritual system, which we will sell for 1995. You know? No. They recorded their own mistakes, and they died for it. Um, it's real. The other thing about this that you might not think about, um, modern people, when I was like, hey, Jesus actually cried real tears, tend to say, modern people in the West, oh, that's really cool to know that about Jesus. Ancient people would actually have struggled with this. The ancient ideal is just to like be the warrior, face death, 
you know, no single tear coming down. Uh, I know an ER doc that, uh, <laughs> actually, I'm not going to tell that story. Edit it. No good. Because uh, it's about making a little kid not cry. Okay? It's dark. Dark story. We're not going to go there. The point is, self-edit. You're welcome. Uh, the point is, Jesus cries tears. Ancient people would have wrestled with that. Why did he do that? Socrates supposedly just went to death and just faced death. Why would they record that? Because it happened. And he, he's not like emotionally unhealthy, but he's a human being. It really happened. How do you know, hey, I'm going to show you two pics. One's photoshopped, one's uh, the raw pic. How do you know which is the photoshopped one? It's the one without all what are seen as blemishes. Okay, Jesus doesn't do anything wrong here, but actually culturally it would have been hard to accept. It's not edited out. The fact that disciples screw up this big and it's recorded in 4K for all of time, if you're going to make it up, wouldn't you just edit that? Jesus suffers as a human. Second aspect of Jesus' suffering, he suffers as a son. He suffers as a son. We're ushered into the prayer life of Jesus. He says, Abba, Father. It's actually just Abba, Abba. And one time they choose the Aramaic word Abba. It's the word for father in the house. It's not babyish, but it's intimate. Okay? And then one time it's translated into English. Father, all things are possible for, for you. Remove this cup from me. Father, you can do anything. Would you please take this away? Would you please take it away? Now, what's the cup? The cup is a Bible code word. It was an image used in the Hebrew scriptures, okay, ancient scriptures for the cup of God's wrath, okay? There's a passage in Isaiah 58, think five, about 600 B.C., okay, before Christ, a prophetic picture and it's recorded in these super old manuscripts that date even back before the, the birth of Christ. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. Do you ever get mad about what's wrong with the world? You're like, that's not right. I hate that. And your hate, your indignation is actually holy, it's like, no, we're against like, people starving to death. We're against that kind of assault that degrades people. You know, we could go on. God hates what you hate only more because he's perfectly holy. Psalm 7 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day, holy hatred about everything that ruins, destroys, corrupts, and God's like, I'm actually, he's perfectly against it. And to forgive us, to for, be forgiven comes at a price, comes at a price, and God has to pour out his holy hatred against sin on Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. 
And Jesus knows the weight of what's in the cup. And he says, can I please not drink that? Just sit in that for a second. Could I please not? If it's possible, take that away. And there's something going on. Okay, the father and son are close, right? They love each other. God the Father, God the Son, and there's going to be a turning away of the Father from the Son when Jesus is on the cross. So when Jesus cries out on the cross, when he screams, okay, he's going to scream in less than a day, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned away from me? And he's going to feel the weight. It's actually a line from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you can read the, the, the whole thing. But he knew the Father, when he's on the cross, he's going to experience God's wrath against sin. And there's something deep and mysterious about what Jesus is even now beginning to experience and what he knows is coming spiritually in his suffering, which is actually worse than his physical suffering. If it's possible, no. And yet, he says, did you get this? Um, Yet not what I will, but what you will. He says, please no, but he entrusts himself to the Father. He's the faithful son. Jesus suffers as a son, and he, he submits himself to God. And he doesn't want to be alone, though. Okay, you're about to undergo, if I was like, hey, you know, you're under going to go a season of suffering that's going to be really, really bad, you won't want to be alone, right? And he's, he's with the 12, but Peter, James, and John are his closest friends. John, Jesus says, entrusts with his mother on the cross. He says, son, this is your mother. Mother, this is your son. And after that, John took Mary into his house. These are his closest friends And yet there's failure here. Jesus suffers as a friend. It's the third way he suffers. Let's just think about the different aspects of of the suffering. First is, I mean, it's obvious they fail Jesus because they don't watch. Jesus says watch three times. It means to like stay awake and be sober. It's like what a guard does. You're not just saying, look, a guard guards you know, watch has an intensity to it in the original language, and he's saying watch. Now, why did Jesus say that? It's not like he's like, you're my sentries, and he's going to escape. He's telling them to watch, and, he's, and he wants them to be awake and just be with them, but he's also telling them to watch themselves. He's telling them to watch themselves. He's being a good friend. He had said, you guys are going to fall away. He predicts it. And they're all like, no. Peter even said, even if everybody else does, I won't. I'll die with you, for you. And they all said that. He's like, guys, stay awake. Watch yourselves. There's something to learn about temptation. The piece of us that's like, I got this. I'm fine. Like when we don't even, when we're not even touch about our danger enough to be a little nervous for ourselves. That's an aspect of what temptation does. 
And so, the, you know, there's a friendship fail here. They don't watch. Peter is basically waking up by Jesus. Verse 37, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Really? One hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What does that mean? So Jesus is saying, look, I'm saying this for you. You need to pray about what's happening. I told you this is what's going to go down. You need to stay awake and pray for yourselves. You need to watch yourselves. What does it mean then that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak? What is the flesh? I don't think it's sin here. Okay, the the Greek word sarks can be translated different ways. It can mean sin and sin nature. Here, though, I think it's like in the context of Mark and the narrative of Mark, it's just like all our physical limitations. Right? Human beings, we can get hangry, right? And flip out because we don't have enough calories. <laughs> right? And there's a physical limitation or you're tired or there's other stress, or there's other stress hormones in your body, and you haven't done evil yet, but your flesh is weak. And it's going to be put more pressure on you. It's going to be harder to do the right thing. Jesus is saying, look, man, the flesh is weak. It's going to be harder to do the right thing. Jesus knows his flesh is weak, his humanity. It's like, pray. And, you know, we have this multiple times he comes and finds him sleeping. The second time he went again away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And then they did not know what to answer him. Have you ever just been, you've, like you just realized you did something so stupid, and the person's like, you did this so stupid. And you're like, there are no words. You know, that's like what we're, we didn't even know what to say. It wasn't like Jesus wasn't clear. It's real simple. Stay awake, watch. They didn't know what to say. And then the third time, and it's like too late. Hey, it's enough. They're here. Wake up, guys. They're here. Watch, watch, watch. And another aspect of this friendship fail, I just want to zoom out for a second. Because, you know, everything, spiritual renewal, spiritual explanation needs to happen in community. If you want to, like, figure out how Christianity works or could this be real, where did beauty come from, how to connect with it, we actually need the help of other people. It's just actually what the scriptures claim. You need other people. And they needed each other. And they, I just want to point out this aspect of the friendship fail. They failed each other as friends. James should have been like waking up. Hey, guys, we got to stay awake. What are we doing? They should have been like there for each other. So they failed Jesus as friends. They fail each other as friends. In another really dark, it gets even darker, Judas fails as a friend, by the ultimate betrayal. Okay, Judas betrays, and it is, it's not just like a friendship fail, it's not like an oops, it is a next level thing, because for money, he took guards there who he knew would arrest Jesus. And it's where we get the phrase in English, the kiss of death. And it's sickening, it's gross, 
because he addresses Jesus respectfully, Rabbi, and I'm going to give you a kiss. You guys will know who he is in the dark. Remember, they're showing up in the dark. You'll know it's the one I kiss. How gross is that? And it's weird, right? Jesus is like, really? I was out there publicly. Really? And you thought, I was out there publicly in a public place, and you guys thought you had to come with like swords and clubs. It's a betrayal. In the last verse, well, the last way there's a friendship fail, just look at the final verses for a second, what Mark records. Verse 50, so they grab Jesus, and then uh, the guards grab Jesus, then verse 50, then they all left him and fled. Just let that sink in for a second. Verse 31, before Peter had said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same, yes. And then Mark records, they all left and fled. Everybody ran. They abandoned them. And then there's this weird, random young guy, right? And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. Why is the linen cloth recorded? It was expensive, Okay, so it's expensive. His level of freak out was too, hey, here's this super expensive thing, and he was so freaked out when they grabbed him, he just like ran away naked, just in shame. And they seized him, and he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Why is that there? It's, okay, there's four accounts of Jesus' life. This detail is only recorded in this one place. Why is that? It's probably Mark. Like, why would you zoom in on this one random unnamed guy? It was a custom in the ancient world. You didn't, like, Mark didn't put himself in the gospel in a way like, and then Jesus said this thing, and Mark said this really bright thing. Mark didn't write himself in the gospel that way. Mark admitted, and Mark, um, there's good evidence, and there's, there's testimony in the ancient church that Mark is based on a lot of Peter's recollections and Peter's teaching. And so, like, that's how Mark found out what Jesus said to Peter. Could you not stay awake for one hour? It's probably Mark. And we find out, look, Mark himself, who wrote this down, knew this was there in himself need be forgiven by Jesus, restored by Jesus. And he ends this section with all the disciples abandoning and run. The disciples did sleep on their job, faced with all the consequences. Despite all the big words and the big promises, they bail. What's here for us? Okay, every person in here We've suffered from friends and also failed as friends. Like, to be a human being, and we're made for a relationship, and some of our deepest wounds in life come through other people. We've suffered from friends. We've also, if we're honest, right, failed as friends. 
You and I, right? We've failed people. We failed to keep the promises. We I was here in the city about six weeks ago for a gathering of ministry leaders, and I said something to a friend that took me about eight hours to realize how unkind it was, how unwise, how unloving. And I was ashamed that it took me that many hours. Oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. And the next day I just say, hey, I said that. I'm really sorry. We failed as friends. And also, okay, every disciple, this is what's haunting about this passage. Every disciple of Jesus Christ realized we failed Christ. Here's, here's a couple principles. Number one, if you're not Jesus Christ, you'll sometimes fail your friends. Number, point number two, you are not Jesus Christ. Feel free to write that down. <laughs> I'm not Jesus Christ. It means you will fail your friends. And look, here's the thing, okay? This isn't, good news is, this isn't the end of this teaching. This isn't the end of the narrative that's the good news. The Bible doesn't give self-help teaching. Hey, guys, here's like eight tips to be better friends. Good luck with that. It could be clear, but we don't do it. We don't have self-help. Pastor Chad talked about that last week. We don't have self-help. We actually have Savior help, and it's the deepest help. The fourth aspect of Jesus' suffering, he suffered as a Savior. Jesus says, let the Scriptures be fulfilled. There is actually a divine plan. Jesus says, it's going to happen. It's going to go down. And you know what the good news is? This is the good news that's being preached around the gospel, the world today. Uh, the, the Bible is the most popular book in history. It's the book that's been translated in most languages. It's, this is being told all over the world. And what Jesus predicted would be true, that this is going to go to the nations of the world and shape history, has happened and is happening. And the good news isn't that like, hey, I can give you eight tips to be a better friend and you're going to be able to like just crank through it and check them off the list, that we can grow in friendship and grow in faithfulness. The good news is Jesus died for his friends. And he loved his friends and forgave his friends. Jesus is the one that that very night said, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And he looked around knowing how they were going to bail on him and he promised to love them and did. And that's the love we were brought into. Isn't that good news? That, look, the gospel's not that, like, you can go out of here and charge the hill and figure it out. The gospel is, yeah, you can, through the grace of God, you can grow in friendship. But after you've received the great, great news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loved us in our, in our failure, and look, these guys became, were loved by Jesus, forgiven by Jesus, restored for Jesus, and yes, were faithful, ended up being faithful to Jesus, even dying for Jesus. That's what happens to these folks. That's good news. Jesus suffered as a Savior. And the only kind of friend we can be is one that repents and believes and forgives like the gospel is true. That's how it works. What else is here? Okay, what, what does it mean to like think about this this many weeks from Easter? Is it not for the community of Jesus to watch and pray? 
is not there's something for us here to watch and pray. In the church through the ages, reads passages like this and says, hey, what does this teach us about temptation? What does this teach us about what we need to do to grow in loving God and loving other people? Um, we need to watch and pray. There needs to be a seriousness about your life. I'm going to give you some uh, this, so this is old school advice about temptation. It's 350 years old. That counts as old school, right? John Owen, 1683, he's this English pastor, wrote, had these writings that are super helpful. He wrote a book called Overcoming Sin and Temptation. And he, and he says this. He's like, you know you're in temptation when you misread your own ability. When you find out later, oh, I had no idea. I thought I could just go to that place and yeah, I'd have those drinks and then I'd decide how much I was gonna drink. Great plan. I thought, oh no, I'm just gonna click on this. It'll be fine, it'll be no big deal because I'm a strong person. Uh, I'm just gonna kind of toy with this bitterness and hating this person and later I'll forgive them and do the right thing. Oh no, hey, I could totally go to that place because I'm strong and we'll be able to withstand what, you know, the ways I would be tempted to go dark. What bitterness, greed, lust, rage, harshness are you wrestling with, but you're not actually even admitting how prone you are to it. His other bit of advice, he's like, there's, there's certain things I could say to you uh, that you'd just be like, yeah, that's straight up awful. This kind of Maybe it's like gross, the grossest kind of violence and imaginable. You're like, yeah, no, that's dark. That's ugly. That's disgusting. There's other things that are sinful. But when we're honest, we admit, like, I don't see the danger of it. John Owen is like, you're in temptation when sin has lost its ugliness. And I'm using the word sin, our cultural moment. Look, some of you might be saying, dude just keeps on saying sin, sin, sin. Our culture makes fun of the concept of sin. Okay, that's not real. This is, this is like Christians getting worked up, pastor guys getting worked up. But sin actually has, it has explanatory power. It explains the poison that causes the stuff that we hate. And I'm saying it knowing that I have sin, I'm really glad to be forgiven by Jesus. You just can't understand the world without the concept of sin. You can't understand the darkness out the window without the concept of sin, and you can't understand the darkness you see in the mirror without the concept of sin. And the good news is, Jesus has come to deal with sin. And when sin actually doesn't appear ugly, when you're not freaked by it, you're in temptation. So the, the thing to wrestle with in community is what sins are you wrestling with, but you're acting like it's, it's not that scary. You're actually already in temptation. And look, Lent is the time when we're called to watch and pray. We're called to watch and pray. Jesus is going to the cross. Jesus' word to us is watch and pray. Be sober, be alert. There's this guy in the fourth century, he's named Jerome. And uh, he's kind of like ancient church Tim Keller. Tim Keller's now a popular Christian thought leader for like the whole West. He's kind of like ancient church Tim Keller. The ancient world in the fourth century read and distributed a bunch of his sermons. And Jerome said this, 
We do well to watch heedfully and pray earnestly lest we enter into temptation. For if Christ does not grant us grace, then the Judas in us betrays. If he departs a little way from us, the Peter in us sleeps. Look, uh, Jesus died for our sins, so we can admit we have them. How about that? Does that sound like good news? Jesus died for our sins, we can admit we have them. And that, so this doesn't crush us, but we do need to get in the game, or, and just admit, we have a little bit of Peter in us. We're asleep when we should be awake. We got some Judas in us. That's what's sobering about this, to pray. Hey, what if we fought sin like it matters? What if we fought temptation like it matters? Uh, And this cultural moment uh, doesn't know what to do with the idea of sin, but realizing, hey, there's stuff, there's darkness, there's spiritual bad stuff, there is spiritual, if love is real, the opposite of love is real, and that poisons us in the world, is bad for nature, bad for people, bad for relationships, bad for the environment, bad for everything, and bad for your relationship with God. And if that matters, it's worth really being serious about fighting that. It's worth being awake about. Um, We can... And look, um, even sometimes good things, social media is a good thing. It's technology. I'm in touch with my high school friends who are in the falconry because of social media. Fun, because how would I do that? And also, if I was like to you, hey, there's, I'm gonna, hey, there's an experiment being run, and supposedly, statistically, hey, I want you to do this experiment. So it'll take like an hour to two hours a day, it makes a lot of people depressed, have FOMO, fear of missing out, makes them feel alone in the world, also jealous, and just general have a foreboding sense about life and what's going on with the world. Are you in? Are you down to taking part in the experiment? Wouldn't you do a Randy Jackson? That's a no for me, dog. Wouldn't you? You wouldn't be like, oh, that sounds great. Two hours, I won't get paid. I'll probably be sadder. Cool. Right? No one would be in. It's like, don't we need to? Isn't I'm 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 not saying technology is bad. I'm not saying social media is bad, but like the stats are out there to watch and pray, fight for holiness, contentment, joy, thankfulness. Should we not watch and pray and be alert about the stuff that makes us sad and like hate other people and stuff? Be polarized. Be crazier. How could we fight sin like it matters? Because guess what? The church is still in the garden, man. We're in the garden. We're on this side of the cross of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He rose from the dead. His spirit's at work. God's spirit is even here now. And also we're groaning and waiting. And we're, it's like being in the garden. N.T. Wright, the world's foremost uh, New Testament scholar, has this quote where he's like, hey, we're sort of in the garden. There's a lot of confusion. There's false loyalty, direct attack, traitors' kisses, all this crazy stuff happening around us. We know the church in the United States is freaking out. There's crazy stuff in the world. And also, 
hey, people who follow Jesus, who name the name of Jesus, must stay in the garden with him. We gotta remain and watch and pray. We gotta pray. We gotta be alert, do we not? There's something for us here. Friends, let's watch and pray. The gospel's real. Um, here's some good news. Here's the best news in the universe. This is true. Uh, I'm statistically not supposed to be here. Just the brokenness in my family, the addiction, the alcoholism, the, um, the way my parents were. The, I, I just want to tell you this. If the spiritual reality of the Son of God could same one, someone like me and meet someone like me and bring forgiveness in my life and soften someone like me and make an angry man like me begin to learn gentleness, God can help you too. God can help you. He really can. The gospel's true. 